Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Tech Reformation, where the world of technology meets the worldview of Christianity. I'm Ben. I'm Craig. I'm Derek. And this is Tank. So I have I have more church Wi-Fi stories. This is this is a couple weeks old now, but uh, I think I think it'll be what? the last the last one. I keep forgetting to tell these stories at the beginning. You, I keep forgetting every week. Did you but, decide to not have Wi-Fi at your church anymore? Is that why it's the last story? <laughs> We've just kicked the Wi-Fi out to the curb. We are no longer supporting Wi-Fi at our church. No. Nope. Um, basically, the story is we burned it all down and started over. Um, Whoa. Which is the a lot church? of fun. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I was Pretty like, sure uh, that's uh, illegal someone call the police. <laughs> It's you know we get money from insurance. It's all good. No, um, oh so dear. <laughs> we so the access points that we had are our Cisco access points, and they are not terribly smart. You have to know how to set them up, and then they just kind of do what you tell them to, and they don't figure much out on their own. Um, so uh, we decided to take them all, and and what kept happening was like we have a couple Apple TVs at church, and they they'll like they'll keep getting kicked off the Wi-Fi or they kind of work and then I got to like to go off the Wi-Fi network and go back on and what happened what was happening was there were far too many access points in in a close proximity but we had to have it be that way because we needed to have that many access points so that everyone can get on the Wi-Fi but then they started interfering with signals and everything it's just it was it was not fun so we ended up uh, going with Ubiquity access points, which are amazing. They're I don't fantastic. even know what that means. Ubiquity is a brand of router or brand of networking equipment. So we actually went through and uh, changed out the router. We actually so the the entire t- the entire church was running on a time capsule for the router, which I don't know how we didn't kill that for <laughs> in the past couple of years. But it was still running pretty good. But we switched that out for a Ubiquity router, uh, and then we changed out all the access points as well. And they are intelligent enough to be able to tell when uh, they need to hand off to other hand people off to other uh, access points and 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 all of that. So uh, me and my brother got this all set up. He's he knows more about networking than I do, and uh, so we did that. And then we get to and and we had to get a server set up to like tell tell the access points you know what they're supposed to do. Uh, it's an easy way to keep them all talking to each other. And then Sunday rolls around. And I get to church and I I log into the server to make sure everything's okay. And like ten of the fifteen access points. Or no no no. We only have like yeah like ten of the fifteen access points. How big is your down. church? It's not that big. No, it might not be 15. I kind of forget. I've blocked it all out of my head. It might just be nine nine access points, something like that. But most of them were down. And I was like, oh, crap. I've dealt with so many Wi-Fi issues at church now that it's 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 just... I, I drag myself to church because I know I have to uh, <laughs> take care of everyone who say, my Apple TV doesn't work. So I panic and, and call my older brother, and, and he's like, oh, man, this should not be happening. But I t- test the Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi is all good. Wi-Fi is working. It's working great. Thank goodness. 
uh, it turns out the the server was just infested with demons, and we had to get an exorcist. And um, no, that that's wow. <laughs> no, that's not that's not what happened. It was it, it was just off an... the ground and spun around. <laughs> you guys went real charismatic there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> More now, charismatic than I've ever been. <laughs> no, it was just an underpowered uh, computer, so we got a new one, and now everything works great. I have not had to. Yeah. I have not had to deal with anything but user error issues now at church, which is super refreshing. <sighs> Congratulations, Derek. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to Ubiquity and their amazing, amazing hardware. Ooh, hardware you should use. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I have a story as well. It's much less tech related, but it was entertaining. Um, Unacceptable. Don't tell it. All right. I'll I'll throw robots in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So yesterday, uh, my wife, Michelle, and I, we went to get a massage. This is our second massage ever in life. Um, At least by like you pay for it and go to a spa and everything. So it was a big surprise birthday present for I was pretty excited about it. Um, Anyway, we go and... um, I kind of have a mindset of massages that it's not just to like, oh, they're touching me. This feels good, you know, and like, like if they're supposed to be working out knots, then I want them to be, you know, massaging hard, whatever. Yeah, I don't know yeah. the proper terms. Yep. Getting um, really, really in there doing the, the, yeah, yeah. This yeah, one's going that. explicit <laughs> real fast, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> so... The guy, I have a the guy masseuse. He goes, so how do you like your massages? And I said, I said that I like them to be like firm, to you know really work out the the knots. And he says, okay. Well, anyway, go in, lay down, and he starts on the back, and it's one of the worst, one of the worst uh, pains I've experienced in my life. He's just digging into my back. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he has brass knuckles on. And he's just digging into the knots and actually cutting them out of my system or something. <laughs> so in the first five minutes of an hour of massage, I'm sitting there, oh God, I don't I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Like, <laughs> if I have an hour left of this. And um, and then five minutes in, he goes, so is this, is this pressure good for you? And I'm thinking, I've told him that I wanted it firm. I don't want to like wimp out. No, this hurts too bad. So I go, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and then I go to spend the next... 55 minutes holding my breath and uh, praying, please, please let me get through this. And uh, <laughs> oh. I, I told I, I told Michelle afterward, I was like, man, if after I saw the cost specifically, I was like, man, I didn't have to pay that much for this. I could have just gone to a bar and insulted a drunk guy and he could have beat me just <laughs> as bad. Oh, my goodness. So, um, yeah, if you ever go get a massage... Uh, don't ask for hard. <laughs> yeah. Be honest with your with your wimpiness. Yes. Don't be prideful. Just be okay with being <laughs> be okay with being a wimp. Yeah. Uh. Afterwards Michelle is like, Yeah, it was nice and relaxing. There were a few parts where they were working stuff out that it hurt, but almost for the whole thing I just felt really good. It's like I was in a battle the entire time.
This is Tech You Should Know, the part of the show where we bring you seven tech news stories from throughout the past week that we feel are worth your consideration. Apple meets with leading podcast professionals, and all other podcasters respond. The New York Times ran a piece this week reporting that Apple met with seven leading podcast professionals to discuss the future of podcasting on iTunes and for them to air their complaints about Apple's involvement in podcasting. And curiously, the podcasters interviewed in the piece think that Apple doesn't do enough in the space, calling for Apple to provide more data tracking for podcasters and add the ability to support subscription podcasts, something that just inherently doesn't work with the medium as it currently is. Many other podcasters have been upset by this news, including Marco Arment and Federico Vitici, who have written their own pieces in response, which those are linked in the show notes as well. Their concern is that if Apple complies with what has been requested, the market for podcasting all of a sudden becomes very closed, limited, and far too reliant on one company's whims. Like everything else in the world. Yes, yes. <laughs> the concern the concern is this'll this this basically turns would turn into YouTube, which, uh, judging from uh, YouTubers' current experience with uh, being reliant on YouTube for everything as far as their livelihood goes, it's just not a good plan. Not a good plan. Well, we will resist the Apple rebellion for as long as possible, faithful <laughs> listeners. <laughs> And in news of trying to keep the media open and competitive, uh, Amazon now seems to be trying to give YouTube and Vimeo a run for its money with its new Amazon Video Direct service. Amazon says that the Video Direct service is for, quote, helping content creators and visual storytellers reach millions of Amazon Video customers. It seems a lot like it may want to compete with YouTube, even though the business plan seems a bit convoluted for creators. Anyone subscribed to Amazon Prime will get this service included, and creators can make money off of ad revenue, purchases, or rentals off their content, money from monthly subscriptions, or some combination of those three. However, I did speak to a YouTuber who was quick to say that this service isn't really meant for YouTubers and instead favors independent creators of long-form content, like TV shows or short films. Did he say in what way, um, why, why there's the difference? It's... It's just structured more for uh, for long form content. Like uh, YouTube tends to be a little bit more informal, and mm-hmm. I guess that's just. I'm I'm sure there's going to be YouTubers that experiment with this because I know there are YouTubers that are itching to get out of um, the the monopoly that YouTube is and try other yeah. things. But we'll see in a we'll see in the coming months. I'm sure more about this and we'll see you know if this you know how this works for people the original creators of siri show off their new ai assistant viv is it viv viv i don't know one of those one of those when siri was originally bought by apple there were a lot of people on the team who ended up leaving the team because of differences of opinion on how siri should work but now we know hmm. that what they were doing for the past four years Viv is an assistant with the goal to be better than Siri, connecting to a lot of services and accomplishing complex requests. If you've kept up to date with talk of Facebook's messenger bots and you're familiar with Amazon's Alexa, you'll have a very good idea of what Viv does. And apparently it does it very well, at least on stage. So, Derek. Yes. What is the difference between Siri and Viv or Viv? 
By the way, it's whatever you want it to be. Don't you don't you read the news? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I did watch the demonstration, and it looks a lot like Hound. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I've heard of Hound. Yeah, um, they just ask really complicated questions, and somehow it still knows. Mm-hmm. It parses the different bits of the question instead of taking the question as a whole and trying to find a keyword to answer your your question. Like, it'll take multiple parts of your question and fit them all together and figure out information through different sources much more uh much more it's much more flexible than siri is if siri gets confused by your question it just gives you a google search or a bing search now i guess um which is not terribly helpful for most people nope Um, especially if you're asking a very specific question about um measurements or like what a certain where you find a certain restaurant in your area or something. So the example I saw in the video was like, will it be 70 degrees three weeks from yesterday in San Diego, California? Something like that. Yep. Wow. And it, it answered. And to think, I used to think that AI was just a lot of complicated if statements. Uh, Hyperloop One, formerly known as Hyperloop Technologies, have just done their first public test of the Hyperloop system. It was nothing more than a metal sled traveling on a track for about 100 meters, but everything went as planned, and so, you know, that's great. Tests like this are never super interesting when everything goes exactly right, but if you want to see the video of the test, check out the link to the article in the show notes. Hyperloop One will be doing a full system test later this year, so keep an eye out for that. Can you give a brief explanation of what a Hyperloop is? Have you seen Futurama? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but not everybody Okay, has. Hyperloop is the tubes that they fly around in in Futurama. If you haven't seen it, Google it. Except it's in a it's in an actual vehicle and there's magnets involved. Right. Mag- magnetic propulsion through a vacuum. So it's idea. like Futurama but not as cool. Right. Because they just step into the tubes and then they go wherever they want to go. Which seems no extremely vehicle. dangerous, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, I've never figured out how they slowed down enough to not just go splat. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's the future. The magic we of animation. We figure it all out. Yeah, it's between it's animated. Then. Yeah. They can drop an <laughs> anvil on themselves and that'd still be a ride. <laughs> Instagram gets a redesign worthy of the new flat era of design. This week, Instagram rolled out not just a new black and white design in their app, but they also completely redesigned their skeuomorphic logo, which they've held on to since their (laughs) inception. The logo is now gradients and colors galore behind a simple white line drawing of a camera. Instagram's other apps are also said to be getting a visual refresh at some point as well. Have you seen the uh, tweet that's going around? Maybe it's an article out there. I don't know. Where it's the Microsoft PowerPoint gradient background yes. and the new Instagram logo, the and GIF. they're identical. Yep. <laughs> no, isn't it the Photoshop built-in gradients? I, I thought it was Photoshop. Anyway, <laughs> either way, whatever I kid, saw like, was PowerPoint. Yeah, oh, the, okay. the PowerPoint. I saw a Photoshop one, and it is exactly like one of the Photoshop gradients, pretty much. It's pretty funny. So, what do you think, Craig? Anyway, um, yeah, I'm I'm just looking at it now, and I it, the inside of the app is cleaner like everything is like thinner lines and mm-hmm. um, less color like they said the icon is super disappointing it does look like it's been designed by a primary school student <laughs> um but not a, like not it just doesn't look very um 
I actually don't think it's that flat. I think the gradient kind of makes it look a little bit like they're trying to be fancy, but it doesn't pull off very well. Mm-hmm. And I think the other one was way more recognizable. This one, to me, is pretty um, bland. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be fine. And I have nothing against um, changing it. I'm, I'm okay with, with the idea of changing it. Um, but it just looks like it. I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't look like it's been a lot of design thought has gone into it. It just looks like they've made it pretty, um, yeah. which, you know, will work for, for some people. But I kind of look at the old one and go, it had way more character and um, kind of actually paid homage to the Insta part of Instagram. You know, like mm-hmm. it was a, it was like an Instamatic camera um, with a rainbow coming out of it and on an old like brown background that kind of made it look a little bit retro. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Whatever. two months from now, nobody will care, I guess. But that's I'm, right. I'm kind of with it's the you same as the when they, same as when they redid the Facebook logo and everything else, and the Google logo. Mm-hmm. Facebook's methods for curating trending topics are under scrutiny. Early this past week, Gizmodo posted a piece talking about how they spoke with previous Facebook employees that talked about how they routinely suppressed conservative news and sometimes artificially injected unpopular topics into the trending news feature in Facebook. A lot more has come out about this story since then, with Mark Zuckerberg speaking out and denying this is Facebook's intention and stating that he's uh, planning on looking into this and making sure it's not the case. And... Uh, There's also news of the Senate GOP launching an investigation into Facebook's news curation. Uh, It also creates an interesting discussion of how social media companies should operate as far as news curation goes and how we as consumers should expect them to operate, especially because now most people get their news from social media. As of today, I think he actually has said, Zuckerberg has actually said that they did an investigation and they found no evidence of what they're being accused of. Mm-hmm. Or at least no evidence so so far. I think that was his last statement. I actually saw one site out there of the less conservative persuasion that said something like, who cares? No one reads those things anyway. And I was like, <laughs> uh... That's because well, you don't see them anywhere because people suppress them. No, yeah. It's amazing how, how far out of the loop many people are. Like, how far of each other's loops people are out of i'm not sure that statement made any sense but you know what i mean yeah i thought that this was maybe one that we could even tackle uh, at a later date yeah actually it would be an interesting topic to discuss i'd be down for that apple invests one billion dollars in a chinese company named Didi. if you're not chinese let me break it down for you Didi is one of the many companies across the globe that specialize in ride-sharing, like Uber, and is in many ways Uber's biggest competition in China. It currently operates in over 400 cities in China as of January, and it seems to have caught Apple's eye. Says Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, Didi exemplifies the innovation taking place in the iOS developer community in China. We are extremely impressed by the business they've built and their excellent leadership team, and we look forward to supporting them as they grow. You may now commence your Apple Car theories. That was that was me, not Tim. He does he didn't say anything about the Apple Car theories. <laughs> That's a lot of money to invest. Yeah, it's an well, interesting move. Yeah, they have like seven hundred billion dollars. So it's really amusing how little this is for Apple. But 
700 billion? No, they don't have 700 billion. But oh, like okay. two or three. I thought it was like 50. Two or 300 billion. Like it's oh, okay. It, it's a lot they have in the bank. That's all the tech you should know this week. If we left out something you think we should have considered, feel free to email us at ask at techreformation.com. For more tech you should know throughout the week, follow us on Twitter at techreformation and you will see various articles we tweet out through the week. So now we'll move into Tech You Should Use. This is where we'll help you pick some great apps or software or whatever that you can implement into your life, and it will hopefully make things easier for you. Decent? Okay, cool. Yeah. So this week, we will be discussing (laughs) budgeting software. Uh, We know that all of us here use different budgeting software, Um, so we thought we'd just go around the table and discuss the pros and cons of of each of the apps or software that we use. So I'll go first. Um, so the one I use is Good Budget. So Good Budget, uh, I like Good Budget because its its idea is the whole envelope system. Um, it doesn't, I don't think it even lets you connect to a bank account or uh, try to pay your bills or any of that fancy stuff. All it is, it's simply says, all right, you put this much money into the system, fill up your envelopes, and whenever you buy something, take them out of your envelopes. And I really like this because I don't want a budgeting system that tries to take over and do so much for me because I don't want to use budgeting software like some people may want to use it. So one example of that is Mint, where it just it tries to do as much as it can for you, which is nice if you like that, but really I don't I don't keep track of things that same way. So I just want to be able to like I don't I want to put money in there when I want to, not when I haven't get my payday. So I just do the first of the month, even though I get paid twice a month. And I want to be able to adjust my envelopes however I want them to grow, get small every day, and then just say, All right, fill all the money up. Don't even need to put in an income, just put all the money to the max of the envelopes and let me start taking out again. Um, so I really like good budget just because it's simplicity. Um, and it syncs between multiple devices, um, works well, it's never bugged for me and it's free unless you want more than 10 envelopes, which I get by fine without. So that's mine. What about you guys? I use YNAB. You need a budget. Oh, you're still a YNAB person. I am still a YNAB person. Wasn't sure if you got scared off with a recent subscription change. Yeah, a couple months ago they switched from a one-time fee to a $5 a month subscription, um, which is actually what good, but good Budget costs if you pay for it, which is you'd pay for it if you wanted more categories and maybe some other things. Um, the distinction, there is no free wine app. Um, you, you either At this point, you either have the old version like me until the end of the year or you're on the subscription. Um and I tell people that it has saved my marriage, uh, mostly as a joke because I've I've been married for less than a year, <laughs> but uh, partially true also because before I had any budgeting software, my policy was do not spend money, and uh, it just was not healthy at all. Like it was terrible. And so, if you don't have a budget at all, I would encourage you to get one. Uh, you can use any of these softwares or or another one. I would 
totally discourage mint as tank said because it sucks yeah <laughs> uh, for for budgeting it's a good expense tracker but it's not a good budget uh software um but i use wine app it's really great um i'm actually we're probably going to keep doing it when we do get uh into next year and start have to paying monthly it's only five bucks a month and we feel like it's worth it um the difference is you can have unlimited categories uh you can run fancier reports uh you can, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's very similar to Good Budget. I think it looks prettier too, which as most of our listeners will probably know by now, that's important to me. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, Good Budget is right there up with uh, LastPass 3.0 and the good old Goodreads in my book. But um, it's very functional. Um, Tank told me about it before we got YNAB and ended up going to, with YNAB, uh, and it's been great. They give you like a free 34-day trial, so... We last year tried it out uh, for a month and thought that we really enjoyed using it and, and it was helpful. And so um, we ended up buying it. My system is one that I'm kind of hesitant to recommend, but I really find it useful and, and it works for me. I use MoneyWell, um, which is another envelope uh, budgeting application, except the the term that is used is buckets. They're little, little tiny buckets that... Uh, are either are either full or empty and uh, either either tipped up or down and it's that's kind of nice but uh it does have it's it's mac only uh mac uh ipad iphone the iphone app is terrible the ipad app is fantastic and the mac app is somewhere in the middle um but i actually use i use a uh, a numbers spreadsheet to actually sort out how much I want to go where. And, you know, after I, I do the whole thing of I spend the money I earned last month. Uh, I think that's a YNAB thing, right? Um, but yeah, so I've adopted that practice. And so at the end of the month, I, I <clears throat> take all the money I earned in the month and sort it out into the different buckets uh, using numbers to figure out uh, you know, how much goes where, and then, you know, I, from the monthly base income bucket, I dole it out to groceries, dining, uh, you know, sewer bill, et cetera, those, those kinds of things. Um, and it's, it's pretty nice. It's, it's pretty good. Um, it's not fancy. Uh, it doesn't hold your hand, but if you know what you're doing in budgeting, then, uh, if you're an envelope budgeter, I, I really like it. We did not know what we were doing, and so it was good that YNAB uh, held our hand just a little bit at the mm -hmm. beginning. Now we know a lot more and sort of have like built onto our system, if you will, uh, as we've gone, just kind of figuring out what works best for us. Uh, one of the things I love, and I think this is true of all of the systems we just mentioned, but I haven't tried money well, mm -hmm. um, is with YNAB, and I know with Good Budget also, you enter in the transaction yourself. Uh, they actually discourage you from connecting it to your, your credit card or your, your bank account or whatever. Um, and I know with the new YNAB, you can connect the account. We probably still won't. I like it because it gives us a good sense of our cash flow. So we actually know, we both know what we're spending money on, um, which is a really good thing in my opinion. And so that's been, it takes a little bit of discipline at first, but once you're used to it, it's, it takes an extra like few seconds and it's worth it, I think in the long run. So I really like that feature. Yeah. Money well will hook up to bank accounts that you have th that will let you, uh, automatically import them. Uh, but most, most bank accounts don't let you do that for free. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and the other thing is I, I find it really obnoxious cause it, cause especially if you have split transactions, 
um, yep. that makes it much more difficult to try to categorize everything, right? Um, so I don't know how you have only like 10 buckets tank. Yeah, I don't either tank. I have like we 30 have like to 40 <laughs> yeah. buckets. <laughs> I mean, we have a ton too, so... Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that I don't do is I don't have like a bucket for my bills. If that, do you guys have? Yes. Yes. I have a bucket for each one of my bills, actually. It's probably unnecessary, but yeah. So anything that's static for me, I have, I just use an Excel spreadsheet that kind of is my history, but anything that's static, I just put that in my spreadsheet and I, it doesn't even go into my budgeting system because like I just ignore my bank account basically. So my my good budget says I have a thousand dollars to spend essentially. That's just a number I picked because it's simple. Oh, that's um, weird. Yeah, and so then my Excel spreadsheet kind of takes care of everything. But I just say I know I'm going to spend this much on tithe. I know I'm going to spend this much on bills, mm-hmm. and so I just put it in, and then I don't even have to deal with that in my good budget envelopes. I only deal mm-hmm. with the things that change over time, like restaurants. I put them in throughout the month, whereas bills are a one-time payment. And so I just, I don't have an envelope for this. So, huh. so what do you do about like utility bills, like water and electricity that do change? Uh, I just change the, like I copy paste the Excel spreadsheet, change the month, change all the numbers to fit what happened that month. I mean, it's like I have an envelope for it. I just don't put it in to good budget. I keep it in Excel. Gotcha. So my wife and I just use Excel um, and we've talked about this before a little bit budgeting, um, on the show. I don't really remember when, but it was quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like we do sort of different to everyone else. We, um, we do have, uh, a bucket or a, like a column or whatever for a row for each, um, different bill, like Ben and Derek were saying, so that you can kind of keep track of the ones that change. Um, but we sort of set up our budget at the start of each year, um, and then, uh, it's not, I wouldn't say for us that it's like a daily or weekly update. It's more like um, when major things change. So we recently bought a car, for example. So we had to update all the car figures, new registration costs, um, the cost of the car itself, new insurance costs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we update those kinds of things, like the big things in the spreadsheet. And then we just kind of know week to week because we know how much we earn and we know how much we have to spend. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's like a I don't know, maybe it's just a discipline thing that we um try and sort of just stick to that and it hasn't really been a problem. Or maybe it's just because we've been married for a while and <laughs> I don't know, we think about it differently or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad idea though. I think it's a very good idea to have a more um uh how would you say it? Like more granular? specific or more yeah, more granular uh more regularly updated budget oh, okay. system. Yeah. Stringent. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good idea, but I think for us, it's been working this way, um, for the last, whatever, we've been married eight years nearly. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it hasn't really been an issue, yeah. but yeah, sounds like there's some other good options out there if we want to explore some of those at some stage, if we need to. Yeah. Yeah. Now, granted the, the reason I have 30 to 40 buckets, the reason I have such like a, a granular or more updated system is because i'm kind of a nerd about this now um (laughs) i really enjoy budgeting now i was not this person before i i I hated the idea of of getting into budgeting because i thought it would be very uh restrictive and very unfun to do every month 
I have I have since changed since taking Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Um, but yeah. Anyway, if for for those of you who are, who do not have a budget yet, I would inc- because you just don't like the idea of budgeting. I would encourage you to look into YNAB or Financial Peace University to learn how to do a good envelope-based budget because uh, it can actually be a lot of fun and it's very freeing ultimately. Totally agree with that. Did you just say fun and budgeting in the same sentence? Yes, I did. I did. I think more important is the freeing part you just talked about. It is so freeing like to know because like I said, my policy was don't spend anything because I don't know where it's all going or right. if we're ever going to run out, you know, and that's like horribly crippling to another person. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, now that you have budgets or envelopes for everything, it's it's pretty, it's detailed enough that you can feel really free in very specific areas of your life, which is awesome. Derek. Yes. You said Financial Peace University. Mm-hmm. So when I said credit card, did you cringe a little? I have a credit card <laughs> and I use it proudly. I thoroughly oh, okay, disagree great. with Dave Dave Ramsey on his on his credit cards thing. Um, cool. Uh, there, there, you you can disagree with Dave Ramsey. Those of you out there who, who are <laughs> <laughs> unsure about you know whether or not to disregard any of his advice. Um, well, and I would say just because I use credit cards also, just because we do doesn't mean that, that they're okay for everybody, that they're right for everybody. Right, either, right, right. There's I know I have some really good friends who have been in so much debt before. Uh, because of credit cards that they will not have them anymore. And I think that's great. That is a, it, I think it would be a sin against their conscience for them to have them because it doesn't proceed from faith. So it's a totally different situation, but. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I mean, I, I never, I always pay off my credit card every month. I do not, like, I would never recommend anyone use them for like buying something that they can't afford. Agreed. That's just totally a terrible agree. idea. Yeah. Same here. But Craig, what, do you do you have something against credit cards? Oh, no, I don't have anything against them. I don't even I feel like deja vu. I feel like I've talked about this before on the podcast as well, maybe not. But I think Are you on another podcast that you haven't told us about? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Definitely not one where I'd be talking about this topic. Anyway, um I said in the in the chat for those playing along at home, I don't believe in credit cards. Um this is just a personal thing, so other people in my family no, I'm not on another podcast. Um, <laughs> you avoided other people the question. In my family we saw it. <laughs> use credit cards, um, and I don't have an issue with that. I think it's perfectly fine. My personal policy is, um, and I did have one a while ago, and I I was the same. I paid it off every month, um, and I didn't use it a lot. Uh, only used it for for certain things, um, but I guess I, I've got a like a debit card, and I just I I don't really understand. The concept. I don't, I don't have a need for the concept. I do understand the concept, but I don't have a need for spending money on credit and then needing to pay it off later when I could just use my debit card. Um, and I know Ben's going to have some reason that he thinks that credit <laughs> cards are really worthwhile. Um, actually, but actually, I'm not going to like disagree with you or try to persuade you, but I am going to tell you what I do and why, because you said you don't see the reason for them. And, you know, I am the exact, like extreme opposite of what you just said. We charge everything. I like, same here. Like we if- had to buy a car and we put as much of that as we could on the credit card. Because like Derek said, I do pay it off every single month and it's not just minimum payment. It's the full payment because we're not buying something we can't afford. And since that's the case, and since we use YNAB, we don't spend more money just because we're buying on on credit cards. We pay what we would pay. And so we just run it through the credit cards and we get points. 
And so like, as a just really practical example, I paid for all of my seminary books last semester on, or actually in the last year on discover cashback. So they give you like 5% for various categories throughout Mm -hmm. the year and then 1% on everything else. And I was able to buy through Amazon with cashback, uh, basically with free money. It's, it's really what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, I know it's not free money, but nothing's free, but, uh, But the point is, you know, I was able to use that for something I would have had to pay anyway, and I wouldn't have had that if I had just used a debit card or cash for all that stuff. And and for my credit card, I can actually you like transfer my cash back balance straight to my bank account. So oh, that's it cool. really is free money. I'm not limited to Amazon or anything like that, which which makes that nice. It just goes as an income into my into my monthly base income bucket and uh yeah. So so, so we we earn points other ways. We earn points through uh, like our grocery shopping. We're on a rewards program with our um, supermarket that we get our groceries from oh, every nice. week. Yeah. Um. So we earn like frequent flyer points and discount points and stuff like that through that. Um. And so, uh, I don't. Yeah, I, that's why I don't have a need for that kind of system. Uh, to me, having a debit card is just like I. I. It's just a. It feels better to me because it feels like I'm. When you guys say we pay it off every month and therefore we're not spending more than we have, that's great. Um, I feel the same with a debit card because you literally have no ability to spend more than you have. That's true. You're spending what you already have. um, And so that's kind of why I do it that way. But Mm -hmm. like I said, totally understand that other people have different needs and different preferences and I don't really mind either way. I think both both, both ways work. Mm -hmm. Um, It just depends what you prefer. Yeah. I want to point out one other benefit of credit cards. They build up your credit score if you have none, assuming you pay them ah, off. Good point, good point. So if you have no credit score, it's an easy way to get one. Like when you're, I don't know, whenever you're younger and you have no, and you want to start working on that. So whenever you do need to buy something big, you're not like, you have no credit. Here's a terrible interest rate. <laughs> but Dave Ramsey says you should never buy anything on credit. Therefore, you don't need a credit score. How well, does he when, buy a house? I've never understood no, 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 how no. he would buy we, a house. <laughs> we bought a house and neither of us had... Oh, I'd had a credit card for like a year and then I let it I let it expire. But and you bought it on it credit, right? Well, we, we got a loan, yeah, but it, was, it right. wasn't impossible to get a loan and we got a good loan with a decent interest rate. So Okay. Sure, I'm I not even bel- talking about credit cards at the moment. I'm just saying when he says don't buy anything on credit, yeah, yeah, that's is crazy. he including houses and cars? Like people yeah. don't just pay cash for that. He is including houses and cars. He would, <laughs> well, I mean, our poli- this is turning in very quickly into a money management show. But <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> money management, reformation. Maybe he's hoping for a massive discount if he pays cash. <laughs> he gets a discount. Last week we got derailed by theology. This week we got derailed by money. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Dave Ramsey would say, you know, buy a beater car, buy a car for $2,000 and you're fine. You know, you drive it till it's dead and then, <laughs> you know, buy another car for it's, that's what I do. Frankly, I don't need a, a, a fancy car. Um, so that's, that's what we what do. What if you like and me first, and you commute an hour and a half to work each day, both ways? You need Bluetooth in your car, don't you, Craig? I do. <laughs> to, to call my wife and let her know when I'm on my way home. <laughs> And that I'm not dead. And to have your, your books read to you. <laughs> Buy a Bluetooth headset for 90 bucks 
which is way cheaper than a than a eight thousand dollar car. You know, um, you drive your car but, inside the office building. <laughs> I got to work in my car. It has Bluetooth connectivity. <laughs> uh, oh, we should move on, probably. But yeah. So that, that's all we use for we could just work some theology into this and make this the main topic <laughs> it's, it's been a you can't time. serve both God and money I think we're no, good let's true. wrap it <laughs> perfect that's very true wrap it up move on Our sponsor this week is Olive Tree. If you've ever drooled over Bible software that's thousands of dollars but could never justify the expense, you should check out Olive Tree. The software is free to get started, and you can buy resources a la carte as you want them. What I've really begun to love about Olive Tree is their split screen mode, where you can read different Bible translations side by side in sync. And it's not just Bible translations you can do that with. You can be reading a passage and open up a commentary right beside it that follows right along with where you're reading in the Bible. For instance, I have Calvin's commentaries, and I was uh, reading the, about the Tower of Babel this week, and I wanted to see what Calvin had to say about it. So I went over to the corner, opened up the, the side panel, and selected Calvin's commentaries, and it opened up right where I wanted to see. And it goes ver- verse by verse, and he explains what you know he has to say. It's very easy, very convenient, and you can also compare, you know, different Bible translations if you want to. To get started, go to olivetree.com and find the app to your favorite platform. They have apps for Windows, Mac, and Android, so none of your devices are left out in the cold. And when you decide you want to buy any of the excellent resources found on Olive Tree, use our offer code TRP16 for 20% off. Thank you to Olive Tree for sponsoring Tech Reformation this week. Hi, this is Cody, the host of the Ordinary Pastor podcast. I'd like to invite you to tune into this podcast weekly as we discuss ministry from an ordinary perspective, whether that's the perspective of the pastor, the pastor's wife, missionaries, or lay people. We discuss all kinds of different topics on this show. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or find us through the Theology Mix Network. I hope you listen, hope you tune in, and may God bless you. So now it's time for our main topic this week. And we've actually talked about this one before, somewhat, and that is virtual reality. We're going to do VR round two, and Tank wanted to bring in some more specific nuances of VR, as it is one of the most growing technology, new technologies uh, in our day, and really everybody's kind of getting involved in it, and I think there's been actually even several new developments since, I think, episode one when we talked about VR. Uh, so if you want to hear us talk about it the first time, go back and listen uh, to episode one 
and you can even skip to Theology from the Headlines if you like, and just listen to what we had to say about VR last time. I don't know how much of this conversation will presuppose the stuff we said last time, so if you haven't heard it, it's a good opportunity to do that, um, but we'll try to try to catch you up at least at the uh, basics right when we start out. So Tank, you want to take it away? Yeah, great. So um, I feel like most people know VR, but it's a virtual reality. Um, and so just a real quick foundation, as Ben said, was you essentially put on a headset and everything you see is from a different world. Essentially, you're in whatever you're watching and you can move your head left and you'll see what's on the left. You move your head right, you'll see what's on the right. So it, it tries its best to immerse you into that different world, that virtual world. Um and so the one of the first ways I wanted to start talking um, about this topic was just to go to give a brief overview of the three main competitors right now. They all have their pros and cons. And so I just wanted to give a brief overview of them and see what you guys thought of that first. And then we can move on into um, a little bit deeper into the topic. The first one, probably the most differentiating one I'll talk about first, the HTC Vive. What's interesting about this is you need an entire... Uh, an entire room to play it in. You stand up, you walk around, it sees your hands, it tracks your movement. So you can literally be walking around a room and, uh, and doing stuff. Um, and it gives you two controllers that you just hold it like in your fists. And so that, that's the way it tracks the hand. Um, and so, so this gives you probably the most immersion just because you're, you really feel like you can walk around and travel. And since it's only room size, obviously you can't explore like an entire fantasy land um, unless it gives you some sort of teleportation or transportation feature. Um, mm -hmm. But you can just walk around and um, they have all sorts of crazy games like rescuing a cat on a board when you're, or walking across a tight wire over, uh, over skyscrapers. And so just because you feel so immersed, it feels like you're actually there and you're actually going to fall or put you in a tight space and you feel like you're cramped. Um, so very immersive stuff there. Um, it's also the most expensive and it takes up an entire room of your house. So uh, pretty, pretty hard to get into there. Um, second is the Oculus Rift. And it is just a headset you put on over your eyes and you use a video game controller to walk, to move around. So all that it does is it tracks your head movement. And it's the middle tier of this. It costs in between the, the Vive and the PlayStation VR. Um, but it doesn't let you actually stand up and walk around. You have to use your controller. And then third, the PlayStation VR, it's the lowest tier. Uh, but it also, instead of having a gaming computer, it runs on a PlayStation. So if you own a PlayStation 4, then you already have the setup. You just need to buy the PlayStation camera and the headset, and you're good to go. Um, and it's and the, and just, the ghost sticks, too. <clears throat> oh, and the ghost sticks, yeah. So that tracks your hand, like I said, the HTC Vive does. And so um, that's the lowest price point. Um, but yeah, does... Are you any of y'all have any familiarity with these and um, any of them excite you the most? The Vive is probably the one that excites me the most <clears throat> to like to try mm -hmm. because I've seen videos of of people using this and you can the tracking is so good. You can literally flip a controller while you're in the VR world and catch it. And mm. you can like it, it's it's amazing how precise the tracking is. Um which is super cool. 
uh, it feels like that would be the most immersive for just general gaming. I feel like the Oculus and the uh, PlayStation VR are probably better just because you don't because the Vive is really set up for you to be in a be in a space. It's not really it, it like for traditional gaming. It doesn't seem like it would work as well. I mean, I guess you could use it for for normal, like moving yourself around if, if developers make it like that. But mm-hmm. um yeah, those are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. To me, um, well, I guess it should be noted that these are all more of the classic uh, virtual reality. Last time we talked about three different kinds of quote-unquote virtual reality, VR, AR, and MR. Uh, and these are more of the put a headset on, even grab uh, something to hold your hands that tracks that. So it's more of an immersive experience. Maybe you're in an alternate reality like Tank was talking about. Um and to me, at least, especially with like Sony, for example, it's hard for me to imagine it really taking hold in anything other than gaming. Um, you know, I can definitely see a lot of application there. I think everybody can. Uh, but I think maybe what's more promising for other applications that are more widespread is something like AR or augmented reality. So something like Microsoft's HoloLens, which I know you didn't talk about. Um, and I know we're focusing more on VR, but as we begin to talk about one of the quotes from the article that we're going to talk about this week is that, um, VR is, uh, gaming is not a subset of VR. VR is a subset of gaming. Mm-hmm. No, I got that backwards, didn't I? Uh, yeah, no, VR yeah, is, is not a subset of gaming. Gaming is a subset of VR. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so to me, with these particular technologies, I think that that's actually more true of something like AR, uh, like the HoloLens. That, that's just kind of my initial thought, especially with somebody like Sony, who's going to be so connected to the PlayStation. You know, the first and most obvious application is going to be games. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. I mean, obviously, it'll get a lot of play in the gaming world for sure. Uh, but if it's going to grow and reach mass populations, I think it's going to have to, to broaden out past just gaming. Yeah, I'd say um, <clears throat> gaming, I think, is what is what is paving the way because that's like every every video game nerd's dream is to be in the game and swing your hands yeah. and you're swinging a sword. Um, and I think one one quick one quick way to make it really cool um, and cheap is for PlayStation to let you play their games with a headset on. So it's controlled the exact same way with the controller. The only difference is it's optimized with the headset. So you can play Uncharted 4 on your flat screen TV or you can put your headset on and feel like you're in the game. And they're already doing this. Valve has done it with Half-Life 2 already. So like, uh, I think one of the problems, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's going to be hard to get the graphics to modern gen games to show mm-hmm. on the headset. It's already mm-hmm. tethered to a PC, but I think um, processing it, that might, I don't know how difficult that will be. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's just the beginning. And I think that's, what's paving the way is games. Um, but I totally agree with that statement. And one of the, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about this topic um, is basically what you just said that um people are going to be using this using VR in the future for stuff other than games. Games is just going to get it started. And I was listening to a video game podcast um and they were interviewing developers from the game developers conference and every talk was about VR. That's all people wanted to talk about. Uh and one guy said something 
very telling about our culture and I think mm-hmm. also very scary, maybe. Um, what he said is that he was asked, do you think VR is going to take off? And he said, oh, I know it's going to take off. I am have, I am 100% confident it will. And he said, how are you so confident? He said, because the porn industry is behind it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you think about, you probably shouldn't think about that, but just the immersive, the immersive experience coupled with pornography, like that will take it from being a spectator thing to actually tricking your brain into believing you're there. Yes. Participatory. And the porn industry will be all over that because it's going to, I mean, I almost, I can almost see it becoming like magazines to internet, the jump from magazines to videos Mm -hmm. being now a jump from videos to VR. And so his, his assertion was simply like, if the porn industry is behind it, they have all the money. They're going to be pouring money into funding these things so that they can start getting their stuff and getting people to buy that. And that's just a, uh, a reality about our culture. <laughs> what do yeah. you guys, what do you guys think about that concept? Well, he's right. I mean, the, the porn industry is largely, well, it's credited. I haven't done any actual research, but commonly the porn industry is, is, uh, accredited for being the reason that VHS was chosen over Betamax and why, you know, DVD took off and why, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if I've heard it about Blu-ray or not, but I've, I think I've heard it about HTML5 even, um, like the reason HTML5 and got, you know, took off was because porn industries were behind it because people wanted to view porn on their mobile phones. Um, and, uh, I'm incredibly conflicted about that because it makes me so, so sad that that this is the reason that people are determined to advance technology is is because of this a perversion of of sex that our culture has gotten into. And I mean, I I have I have been addicted to porn in the past, and thinking about what my kids. Uh, will have growing up with the internet and potentially VR on their phones and just the ease of access to many of these things is scary and makes me a little sick. It, it it's, it's hard to think about. I didn't realize, well, I don't even know how that works, how porn would be the thing that drove the change between VHS and DVD. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's a it's a market market quality difference. So I thought that was you know what would drive the change, not just the industry that may or may or not make use of it. Yeah, could be a dangerous thing to try and do research sure. on too. I was thinking about <laughs> as you were talking about that, Derek. I was like, how would I learn more about this without going to a dark, dark place? <laughs> you know, because that is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, sad, but very interesting, and I'd like to know more about it. But it's like I don't feel like I can. Google that in any kind of safe way, so I'm not going to try. Tank, were you saying the funding for the R&D to develop that technology, is that what you're saying? That would have come from the porn industry? Yes. Okay. Well, more just on implementation. Like, the technology is created and the porn industry decides, okay, which which is the best, and they go with it, and then they have all these people who watch you know watch porn and they want to use these new technologies and they go with whatever the porn porn industry supports and so right but hollywood um, doesn't make their decision based on the porn industry 
No, but they make their decision on which uh, standard is being used the most. Used, yeah. And and if the porn industry is behind something, and thus it's getting used by everyone who's into porn, Hollywood comes just a lot of people. Yeah, it's and it's not talked about, which is why you don't really like. It happens without anyone talking about it, kind of thing. Although it's it's kind of a shame to see how more and more uh, news outlets are putting headlines about porn and VR. Like it, it's whenever the latest you know VR news comes out, uh, it's there's there's porn headlines in there and people talking about how great this is and how weird this is and I tried this and it's much more public than it used to be, which uh, I guess in some way is going to be good for talking about it with my children, having it out in the open like that, uh, making it an easier subject to broach. But it makes for a very different dynamic nowadays. You guys have said it well. It is cripplingly sad um, to think about. And I would caution anybody uh, not to think about it too deeply, as Tank said. Um, But, you know, I even think, just thinking about sin, particularly sexual immorality, a friend once told me it's like drinking rat poison. I think this is something the Puritans used to say, um, that after a while you become so numb to it that you start you stop realizing that you're drinking rat poison. And so you begin to, your senses become dar- dar- hardened, your, your heart becomes darkened, your thinking becomes futile, all of the things that Scripture talks about with... Um, the pervasiveness of sin in our experience, and you begin to not even realize that it's destructive to you. Uh, so people, you know, a lot of people may hear this and be like, wow, what are these guys making such a big deal about porn for? It's like not that big a deal, you know, and it feels really good or, or I enjoy it or something like that. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that is certainly the, theologically, that's the state of humanity in total depravity. I, I am not contradicting that. I'm just saying the effects of sin in our lives over time certainly deadens us to it. Uh, and it's just really, really sad to think about uh, in my own life and in the lives of friends and family and even people I don't know. Yeah, it's rough. And so I think um, I think one thing that I, I had never really thought about this before until I heard that. And, um, and it just hit me like, yeah, that's going to be a reality. Like I've been super excited for VR and wishing I could try it and all that stuff. Um, and just realizing that this will be a a very, a a new platform essentially for that. Like, uh, after thinking a lot about it today, um, mainly and, and throughout since I've heard that, um, you know, I, I plan on, I, I don't think I will get. VR, at least not for a long time until it's pretty much in the stage like a PC is where everybody Mm -hmm. has VR and it's unavoidable. And even then, like I'm going to talk to my wife about it right now. Not I'm on the podcast right now, but, uh, (laughs) like through just through thinking through this and praying about it. Um, I plan on talking to my wife and saying, you know, this is a serious danger and it's new. And anytime I think new, uh, is it's still the same old sin, you know, but it's shown in a new light. And I think that affects, uh, people who have had struggles with it. Um, and since it's new, like I'm going to tell my wife, like if, if this ever somehow, if we ever feel like we need to obtain one of these systems, then we have to set up severe guards around it. Because even though I feel 
safe right now, and I don't think that I'll return back to the old, you know, the old puke, the old vomit. Um, I pray to God that I don't. Um, you know, if there's new vomit, <laughs> you know, I want to be very, very careful. And so just for, for those of you who guys who might be thinking of getting one of these, if you have struggled with that or you do struggle with that, really consider strongly about it. And, um, you know, that's, that's, it's a, it's an aspect that you don't want to be enslaved to again. And it, if cutting off your hand is worth, um, fighting sexual immorality, then not ever getting VR, I think is as well. Mm-hmm. So we've said a lot of bad stuff about VR now. And, um, you know, I've, I've said that I don't expect to get one at least for a long time because of the bad stuff. But, um, as we know, VR is definitely a neutral thing that can be used for, um, to sin or for good. And so since we are the tech reformation, we hope to see tech reformed, not just banished and done away with because it can't, people use it for bad stuff. And so I'd love to talk about how do you guys think we could reform this? Well, I would disagree on your technology as neutral point, but that's a conversation for a different time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've learned a lot the past couple months about that, and it'll be an interesting uh, conversation in the future. But um, now Hmm. I don't know what I was going to, where I was going to go. I had one idea this week as I was just thinking about this, because I knew we were going to go this direction with this particular topic. Um, And I brought up an application, you know, in the last episode we talked about it, but this one's more specific, especially with regard to the more immersive experience. Uh, And you guys tell me if uh, if this is crazy, but have you heard of the Creation Museum? Yes. Yes. I was thinking of this too. This is going to be my example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) So I've never been, and I don't know anything about it other than the fact that it exists. But uh, I think a more practical example is like the Bible Project, for example, and we've had them on the show, uh, episode 25, if you're interested. Um, But I could see Christians using this technology for a lot of good uh, and just recreating um, things that we already know anyway about uh, the events in the Bible. Uh, just so that people would become more familiar with it. Hmm. Uh, and just even like incredibly immersive experiences where you could walk around where, uh, you know, I don't know, where even we think Abraham walked or where the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Or, you know, it just might be really interesting uh, maybe to get a tour of Jesus's earthly ministry uh, and all the places he he walked that we have on record and and things like that. I think that could be really, really cool and a new way for Christians to interact with God's Word um, in a very, very immersive experience, which could be really neat. Yeah, I was thinking of it because um, last week I watched Apology is um, Ark Encounter preview. Did you guys see that? No. No. Uh, they, they did like a 30-minute um, sort of overview of the new Ark thing that they're building alongside the Creation Museum. Um, and my, my wife has always kind of been like, eh, yeah, she's not really big on overseas travel. Like she doesn't really care, um, about that, but she, she was actually like, oh, as soon as our kid's old enough to understand it, like, you know, and appreciate it, we should go there for a holiday, (laughs) um, to the creation museum and stuff. But I was thinking it'd be cool to be able to see that kind of thing and to have that kind of experience, um, remotely, like if they were able to package that somehow as VR and, and sell it to people. Um, or whatever, distribute it somehow. Um, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, things like that and like what Ben was just talking about, uh, Christians around the world would be interested in accessing that through a digital medium rather than having to 
fly somewhere, fly to Israel or fly to Arizona or wherever the fucking counter thing is. It's not Arizona, somewhere else in America. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely a, one way that it could be redeemed. Hmm. It, it also could have massive implications for art, um, particularly movies and just the way we tell stories in general. Um, I think that Christians can use this medium to develop very immersive, again, uh, detailed stories that get you in to the middle of, maybe it's a documentary series like The Dropbox, uh, where you're really seeing um, suffering, actually, uh, firsthand in a new way uh, that causes it to be real to you. Or maybe it's a, a story about redemption, um, and we can weave those sort of gospel themes or biblical themes into into the narrative in a way that we can interact with the content in a more real, um, maybe tangible way. Mm-hmm. I guess you can't really touch it, but... <laughs> But it feels like you can. Yeah, it feels like you can. I'd be interested to see how it combines with um, other senses as well. Obviously, it's visual. But I wonder if you could work in even like touch aspects or smell aspects. Um, Certainly, sounds are involved, of course, as well. But just in order to drive the experience to sort of its conclusion, um, just being more interactive to the nth degree. It could also be used by mission organizations, I reckon, to give people a taste of um, mission fields that people might be going into. I know I, when I went on a short-term mission trip to the Philippines, I kind of, I think I've mentioned one time maybe that I didn't really feel like missions was something that I was called to, and then I went myself and experienced it firsthand, um, the other culture and just the poverty and, and the fact that people were searching for um, an answer searching for for God basically but they were searching in the Roman Catholic Church and, and places like this that were full of at least in that country full of corruption and, and stuff so um, yeah I think being able to give people um, sort of more of a first hand experience of um, what it's like to be in those cultures or to um, ex- yeah, experience another way of living might open up people's minds at least to the idea that that it's something they need to take more seriously or open open up their heart to what you know whether or not they could be called to that sort of thing that's that's really cool i think um also along with that the reverse so whenever they whenever a mission missionary gets there you know we we can skype now and we can have that very personal contact on a 2d level but mm-hmm. just imagine contact on a 3d level where you put on the headset and you see your family in the same room with you through a headset and you can walk around you can see body language um, especially as the as the technology gets better and better you'll be able to see uh, see them even more and more vividly i bet and so it'll be it'll be like you can interact with your loved ones back at home um, to a level that just again, just how letters move to phone calls, move to Skype. Now we'll move to virtual reality and just be able to feel like it'll connect the world even better. I bet. Mm. Do you guys remember when we did our first episode on this and uh, Jeremy talked about it on after the sermon? Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he was referring specifically to mixed reality uh, and, and it's how it would relate to the sacraments. Um, so could someone administer the Lord's Supper with mixed reality in some way or another that still meets the biblical criteria? Have you guys thought about that any more since then? That was a long time ago, but... How would you do that? Because the sacrament is a physical thing. 
Yeah. Right. That's why it would have to be mi- mixed reality and not virtual. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that would work. I'm sure somebody will do it. Uh, but yeah. It's... Yeah. Probably. Mm-hmm. Virtual reality baptism. <laughs> yeah. See, that's interesting. Trying to perform those those sacraments over over a virtual thing. I. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I, I, that's almost something that you have to evaluate because because that does seem to have a level of difficulty that uh, to accomplish that is so strange that like you almost have to see how someone solves that problem before you figure out whether it works, you know, whether it's well, valid, so yeah. to speak. So give an example of how, like, does anyone have an example of how the Lord's Supper would work through MR? Yeah, I think that's what I was asking for. <laughs> but uh, that was kind of something that he had brought up on after the sermon back when we did episode one. Uh, just not not really in response, but just kind of thinking off of what uh, we had said. I guess it would involve, you know, a physical person is there. That's the mixed part. There is a real physical um, person present. But then the mixed reality part uses the sort of virtual reality with the physical person to portray an elder or something. I don't know. I'm not really sure how that would work. I don't think he went into specifics either, but I was just wondering if you guys had thought, thought more about it. Have robots on one end. You're feeding the, the, the pastor feeds the robot on his end and the robot feeds the person on the other end. And that's about (laughs) the only way I can think about that. I I don't know if that meets the criteria in the Bible, but, but yeah, I mean, it just an interesting thought experiment at the Mm -hmm. very least. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly if you're Catholic, that wouldn't work, but, uh, yeah, as far as Protestant understanding of the Lord's Supper, that's a different issue. Maybe you project something on the elements. So if, I don't know why you wouldn't be able to get bread or wine, but if you couldn't, uh, you you make water into wine virtually. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Just kidding. Virtual miracles. Just kidding. Courtesy of VR. I think it's a stretch. In answer to Jeremy's question, obviously I'm not advocating that, Craig. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just. I, I know. I understand that. I'm just saying, like. I guess, you know, thinking about Jeremy's question, um, uh, yeah, I don't, at this point, I don't really see, I guess I can't imagine a situation where it would be necessary to, like, it seems like if you can have a a headset in the room with you, then you can probably have the elements in the room with you and maybe a person in the room with you. Like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a scenario where it would be impossible to have any of those three things where, where you have to do completely virtually or, or whatever. Um, and if it's not completely virtual, if it is MR, maybe I'm just being lazy, but I kind of think just do it real, do it the real way. <laughs> but it's not to say there's not scope for it. I just can't think of a good example. Who knows what people will do? Well, uh, I think we've talked a lot about how we can reform our use of VR, but I think we can also reform our attitude towards VR. And we talked a little bit about that earlier. Uh, one of the things that I noted uh, from the article as I read it was um, one of the folks who's really involved with it, uh, Ted Shilowitz, uh, was talking about a film called Wall Street uh, with a character, Gordon Gecko, who's got this uh, really big cell phone. Uh, in the movie. And to us, we look back at that and, and we think, man, that's ridiculous. I've got my iPhone here. I can't believe a phone that big. Why would anyone ever, ever use that? And uh, commenting on it, he says, we're in the brick cell phone days, 
right? He's saying that with VR, our understanding of it today is basically will be in years will be what the brick cell phone is to us now. And he says, imagine if we stopped with that, we wouldn't be here today. You have to be bold, be brave, take risks, be willing to explore the edges. You never know what you might find. And I don't know what this person means when he says all that. Um, but I think it's important for us as Christians to remember that we're not autonomous, uh, that any foray into any new technology is ultimately not the result of our human ingenuity or autonomy. It's ultimately the result of God's uh, foreordained plan, uh, that he's sovereign over all things, even us. And uh, I think that as we begin to think about how we could use these new things, we should ultimately praise God uh, that he would give us these things and that he would uh, even give us the intelligence to use them and to create with them and the ability to create with them as creatures in his image. Let's move into recommendations. We've never called it that before. I have a recommendation this week. <laughs> it sounds so formal. Um, <laughs> I'm going to record a podcast episode called Keller on Preaching to the Heart. This was from the Gospel Coalition podcast. Um, so, for anyone who's interested in preaching, um, I would highly recommend this. It was really interesting. Tim Keller basically went through and uh, explained um, – the things that he thinks need to be included to make a sermon uh, really work in terms of reaching people on a heart level. So definitely check that out. And Ben, you uh, tweeted out on the Tech Reformation uh, Twitter this week about Gboard, the new Google keyboard for iOS. It, yes! It is a fantastic keyboard. I really awesome. like it. But unfortunately, it still suffers all of... like. The, the four-second boot-up time that every third-party yep. keyboard has due to Apple's crippling whatever Apple does. Apple, fix your dang <laughs> a keyboard integration thingy. But yeah, other than that, Google Keyboard is amazing. I really like it. Totally agree with you. I made it my default keyboard, which is crazy if you know me at all. But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've I've never had a third-party keyboard woo me like Google Keyboard has in the past two days. Yes, agreed. Uh, it's just quite excellent. Yeah, Android. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on Android yet, actually. Can you believe that? It's kind of ridiculous. It's uh, I had Android users on my Twitter lamenting about that this hmm. week. Nice. So my reco is a JavaScript date time library. So this won't mean too much for non-programmers, but um, I was using the built-in date library. Uh, so like to convert code to dates that make sense. But anyway, found an in had a bunch of problems with it, but one of the most interesting ones in the final straw was when Firefox converts eight nine fifteen to 1915 as opposed to Chrome, which converts 8915 to 2015. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea how to deal with this. <laughs> if Firefox, then. <laughs> no. Or I could put one of those flags on my on the web page that says, this, this site works best in Chrome. You'll get mixed results with Firefox. But that's definitely not the right way to go either. <laughs> so anyway, I've had a great experience with Moment.js as a opposed to the default date library. So um, if you're still using just new date, then uh, 
highly recommend switching over to Moment.js. And if you have to convince somebody higher up, then show them the difference between Firefox and Chrome. Maybe that'll sell it to them and show how much money you're losing. <laughs> there we go. I'm done. <laughs> and if you would like to connect with us and chat about all of these crazy things that you hear on the show every week and ask me if I'm taking crazy pills because of the crazy <laughs> things that I say on the show every week, then you can jump on our Slack channel which is at slack.techreformation.com. On a serious note, though, um, man, this thing is so cool, and I was just really blown away by what I think the Lord's doing uh, through this little podcast, uh, and especially through our Slack channel. Um, Alex Humphrey and I, Alex uh, from the Rug and Marriage fame, um, had a good conversation about the topic from last week uh, with regard to Adam before the fall, and really just got really, really detailed, a lot more than on the show, um, in the episode discussion uh, feed. And it was really great. I think we both understand each other a little bit better now. Uh, I don't know that anyone has changed their mind. But it was also very civil and brotherly and uh, loving, which was awesome. And even somebody commented that he thought it was the most civil uh, dialogue that he had he had seen on the internet about theology in a long time. And that's not to brag on myself, uh, but instead to brag on what I think the Lord's doing uh, through his people and through tech reformation. And so I would ask if you've been listening for even an episode or two, jump in the Slack because it's a great place to hang out during the week. You can also follow us on Twitter at tech reformation. Like I said, we'll be tweeting out uh, tech. You should know stuff throughout the week that will not make it into the show, but it is stuff that you should know. And you can like us and share our posts on Facebook. Um, uh, that helps us get into more uh, eyeballs and, and brains to, to try out our episodes and, and see what we're see what we're like and uh, get get it in more people's ears and you can check out our website www.techreformation.com if you want to have a look at some past episodes or look at the tags to see what topics we've talked about and finally you can send us an email at ask at techreformation.com any comments, feedback, suggestions whatever, we'd love to hear it we are a part of the Theology Mix Network. Check us out on the website uh, or the Master iTunes feed on iTunes. Uh, the links to both of those are in the show notes. And please leave us a rate and review on iTunes and recommend us on Overcast. As we ask you to do every week, it really helps us get out there and get more listeners to this show. Yeah, we, we keep getting comments from people that they found us through the Overcast uh, religion and spirituality section. So keep keep recommending us on every episode so that... Uh, people uh, people can f still find us there. It's great. And if you like this music you've been hearing, it's by Matthew Parker. You can check him out on SoundCloud and iTunes. This has been Tech Reformation. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Are you going to say, you want to rap tech you should use just with the music? Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. 
So now it's time for our main topic this week. And we've actually talked about part of this before. I'll you distract me with visual again. stuff. I'll distract you with audio stuff. How's that? Okay, Derek. <laughs> we are going to have an all-out Civil War. Oh, snap. Did you guys see Civil War? Did you guys see Civil War? I did not. Did not. No. I've heard it's amazing. Is it really amazing? What? You guys haven't seen it? No. No. I dropped no, off Captain of Marvel. America. I dropped off of Marvel movies after Iron Man 2. Derek, we cannot be friends anymore. No, no, no. After No, it was after the first Avengers movie. I just haven't kept up with oh them. I don't have the gosh. money. So. I'm so sad right now. <laughs> I saw it two times in the first weekend. Wow, nice. Wow, you really like America. <laughs> I do love America. They come out with a they come out with a new Marvel movie like every other week. I, I can't keep up no, with them all. It's two a year. Yeah, they there are a lot. <laughs> this was the thirteenth. But they're good movies usually. Yeah. 